Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Chiju. Coming up in this edition, the United States has launched a new round of strikes against Houthi anti-ship missiles aimed at the Red Sea. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has expressed concerns of the escalation of border tensions between Iran and Pakistan, and hundreds of police officers are on strike across France, voicing their anger in the run-up to the Summer Olympics. We start in the Middle East. The United States has launched a new round of strikes against Houthi anti-ship missiles aimed at the Red Sea. A Houthi spokesperson says Yemeni forces carried out a missile attack against a U.S. cargo ship in the Gulf of Aden. The spokesperson says the attacks came in retaliation to strikes by the U.S. Sarah Coates has details. The United States has confirmed this fifth round of strikes against Houthi assets in just the space of a week. Uh, it says that the Yemen-based rebel group fired yet again on another U.S.-owned ship in the Red Sea. And despite Houthi claims, uh, CENTCOM says there were no injuries, there was no damage to their ship. And look. This Red Sea international shipping route has really been targeted by the Houthis since November.、Uh, the Yemen-based group says that it will continue. While this is, of course, despite this U.S. designation as a terror organisation, it will continue until Israel pulls out of Gaza. That was Sarah Coates reporting. Meanwhile, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has expressed deep concerns of the recent exchange of military strikes between Iran and Pakistan. Spokesman Stefan Dujarek said Guterres urged both countries to exercise maximum restraint to avoid a further escalation of tensions. The Secretary General had said all security concerns between the two countries must be addressed by peaceful means. Pakistan carried out strikes early Thursday morning against what it called terrorist hideouts inside Iran. The Pakistani strike followed Iranian attacks on what Tehran had called terrorist bases in Pakistan on Tuesday. Isan Kavani is more from Tehran. Iranian provincial officials say in the early hours of Thursday, a village in the Iranian southeastern province of Sistan and Baluchistan, some four kilometers away from the border, was hit by three missiles fired from drones inside Pakistan. Four houses were demolished, and according to state reports, at least nine people, including three women and four children, were killed. Iran's foreign ministry immediately condemned the attack and summoned Pakistan's charge d'affaires in Tehran to offer. For explanations for the strikes, this comes less than a week before the incident. A Pakistani naval fleet docked at Iran's southern port city of Bandarabas. The fleet participated in a joint military exercise with the Iranian forces in the Persian Gulf. Regional as well as national security matters to both Iran and Pakistan. And following Pakistan's retaliatory move, officials both in Tehran and Islamabad seem to be willing to exercise restraint and to prevent further war of war. Pakistan's foreign ministry says the country fully respects the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Iran, and that Iran is a brotherly country. After Iran targeted terrorist bases in Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan, and Pakistan, what Iranian officials are clearly saying is that Iran is militarily capable of pinpointing targets in the range of 1,500 kilometers, and no matter where the country will react to any threats against its national security. On Thursday. The Iranian Army and the Islamic Revolution Guard Corps started a joint air defense exercise across the country. That's Isan Kavani in Tehran. 
In the United States, families of victims of the deadly school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, have expressed frustration and division after the Justice Department released a report revealing what it describes as cascading failures in law enforcement's response to the massacre. The report catalogues a sweeping array of problems in police training, communication, leadership, and technology that federal officers say contributed to the crisis lasting far longer than necessary. The shooting at Robb Elementary School in May 2022 killed 19 children and two staff members. At the time of the attack, terrified students inside classrooms called 911, and agonized parents begged officers to go in. As Uvalde struggles with trauma and remains divided on the issue of accountability, District Attorney General Christina Mitchell is considering whether to bring criminal charges. Benji Hire reports. Many of the horrific and devastating details of that day were already known, but the nearly 600 pages now published, almost two years on from the tragedy, provide the fullest account yet of one of the worst school shootings in the nation's history and the botched police reaction. Leadership in law enforcement is absolutely critical, especially in moments of dire challenge. This report reads: This leadership was absent for too long. The review, consisting of 200 interviews and around 13,000. Pieces of evidence was offered to families of the victims on Wednesday evening. They met with America's top law enforcement officer, Attorney General Merrick Garland, who says the report aims to honor the memory of those lost, provide a comprehensive, independent account of events, and give recommendations going forward. He gave a press conference earlier from Uvalde. The law enforcement response at Robb Elementary School on May 24, 2022, and in the hours and days after, was a failure that should not have happened. We hope to honor the victims and the survivors by working together to try to prevent anything like this from ever happening again. Merrick Garland's Justice Department highlights the failure to follow active shooter protocol, with officers treating the crisis like a barricaded subject situation, despite several indications that the gunman, armed with an assault rifle that Mr. Garland says belongs on a battlefield, was still firing at children, most of them as young as just nine or ten years old, and the fact that the door to the fourth-grade classroom was likely unlocked. It took police 77 minutes to breach the room and neutralise the threat. In that time, pupils had made repeated calls to 911, begging for help. The DOJ's report names names, including Pete Arandondo, then the Uvalde School District Police Chief. He was one of just five officers sacked after the mass shooting. Multiple community members have filed lawsuits against city police and are calling for criminal charges. Some I spoke to on the ground there described the police as cowards. In the hours following the shooting, many were told of officers' heroic efforts and given incorrect information. About whether their loved ones survived. The report also focuses on the victims and the trauma they've experienced since, due to a lack of accountability, transparency, and care. The Justice Department, based here in the capital, recommends the first to the scene in an active shooting should be properly trained and eliminate the suspect. In the aftermath, law enforcement must provide the public with a sense of trust and confidence, communicating clearly and compassionately. That was Benji Hire on the aftermath of the Uvalde school shooting. In Latin America, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has expressed his country's readiness to enhance partnership with Brazil. Wang Yi met his Brazilian counterpart in Brasilia, saying the two sides should take the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties as an opportunity to plan for higher-level exchanges in the next phase. 
He also said, as the biggest developing countries in the East and West Hemisphere, China and Brazil should strengthen unity and cooperation to jointly tackle global challenges. Mauro Vieira said Brazil is ready to strengthen communication and coordination with China and implement the major consensus between the two heads of state. He also said he hopes the CSG20 summit in Rio will be an opportunity to enhance high-level exchanges and bilateral cooperation. During his stay in Brazil, the Chinese foreign minister is expected to co-chair a global strategic dialogue with his Brazilian counterpart. Lucrecia Franca reports from Brasilia. China's foreign minister Wang Yi's visit to Brazil comes during the best of times. Both nations are commemorating the 50th anniversary of their diplomatic ties, and trade between the two countries is at a record high. For the first time, Brazil surpassed the milestone of 100 billion U.S. dollars of exports to China last year—104.3 billion dollars, to be exact, according to official government data—and bilateral trade reached 150. 7.5 billion dollars. But this visit goes beyond trade. Wang Yi and his counterpart, Brazilian Foreign Minister Mauro Vieira, will co-chair the fourth Brazilian-China Global Strategic Partnership meeting. The initiative, which was established in 2012, aims to strengthen the bilateral agenda and discuss relevant international matters between the two countries. On the table this year, Brazil's presidency of the G20 Global Government. Governance and cooperation in science, technology, and innovation. It is, according to China-Brazil expert Ricardo Berzoini, a very different sort of bilateral arrangement than Brazil has experienced in the past. The relationship between Brazil and China is a balanced relationship from the perspective of mutual respect. It is different from the relationship that Brazil has had and still has with countries from the so-called G7, from the center of world capital. Where the relationship is very colonialist, that is, transnational corporations come to Brazil and seek to take maximum advantage of this relationship without reciprocating. Several agreements are expected to be signed here in Brasilia. Experts point out the significance of this event as it brings together the two largest countries in Asia and Latin America, two nations that share common views on not changing but improving the international system. That was Lucrecia Franco on the Chinese Foreign Minister's visit in Brazil. In Europe, hundreds of police officers are on strike across France, voicing their anger in the run-up to the Summer Olympics. Unions claim the government has been dragging its feet on negotiations over bonuses and holiday guarantees. The Ministry of the Interior has called for all hands on deck during the games from July 24 to August 11, smacking the middle of the national summer holiday season. Tony Waterman has more in Paris. The unions are calling this a Black Thursday demonstration. There are a couple hundred people that have gathered outside of Paris's、uh, city hall, and what they've been saying is that without agreement. The Olympics will happen without them. That without agreement, things will just fly away, and they set off a bunch of balloons. These officers have three main demands. They want guarantees on summer holiday leave, bonuses of up to 2,200 U.S. dollars for every police officer, and social support during the Olympics, in particular childcare. But they say. 
there's been a lack of communication from the Ministry of the Interior, especially around officers being brought in from other regions to Paris during the three weeks of the Games. Given the sheer size of the Olympics, the Games are expected to attract 15 million people. The government has called for 100% mobilization of the police to ensure public safety. Some 30,000 officers and soldiers are needed to secure the opening ceremony alone, which is going to take place along the Seine River. In exchange, the government is offering 10 working days of leave and bonuses of around $600, higher if officers show exceptional commitment. But these officers say it is simply not enough. The problem is that all the police services are at breaking point because in addition to the Olympics, we already have the whole issue of security in the region to deal with. The Olympics were decided in 2017 and so far the administration has not given us any answers about how we're going to look after our children this summer because we've been asked to be 100% present with no bonus and no means of childcare. We are capable of blockading all the police stations in France, the borders and the airports. This is a warning. If the government doesn't listen to us and give us concrete measures, we'll go even harder. Officers aren't just protesting here in Paris, but in other parts of the country as well, including Toulouse, Dijon and Brest. Now, the government wants to see these negotiations wrapped up by the end of the month. They want to know for certain that as the eyes of the world turn to France, that they have the security forces needed to make sure that this is a very safe Olympic Games. The Olympics now just about six months away. That was Tony Waterman reporting from Paris. Turning to China, the Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has outlined several major tasks for the coming year. One of them is to keep promoting the high-quality development and large-scale application of the industrial Internet. Dai Kai has details. When we talk about China's high-quality development, we have to talk about China's industrial progress as a key factor. And in 2023, China's industrial economy actually is on track of recovery, and the ICT industry has also seen a rapid development. So data from the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, or MIIT, shows that the industrial output rose 4.6 percent year-on-year in 2023, and the overall scale of the manufacturing industry has remained on top worldwide for 14 consecutive years in industrial enterprises is either you know uh, narrowed losses or earned profits uh, since April last year so it allows many of them to expand their production so we see electric machinery and also automobiles recording double-digit growth last year um, We see China produced over 30 million cars in 2023 and it sold 30 million cars as well. So the export of EVs, lithium batteries and solar cells all combined surpassing 1 trillion yuan. So that is something that China has achieved for the first time ever. Meanwhile, authorities also said that they've been working on fostering new driving forces is why we see emerging industries like new materials and robotics rapidly growing. And in terms of the ICT industry, revenue of telecom services in China in 2023 grew by over 6%. And China's built over 
3 million 5G base stations. Its computing power has ranked second in the world. So China is on its path to pursue what it calls the new industrialization, which basically means it's shifting that production model to a more technology-driven and more sustainable one. And so officials believe that because of China's massive market scales and its com- complete industrial system and information infrastructure, uh, the country can actually sustain that momentum in the following months. That was Daikai reporting. Now recapping today's headlines, the United States has launched a new round of strikes against Houthi anti-shipper missiles aimed at the Red Sea. UN chief Antony Guterres has expressed concerns over the escalation of border tensions between Iran and Pakistan. And hundreds of police officers are on strike across France, voicing their anger in a run-up to the Summer Olympics. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Qi Zhi. Thank you for listening.